0: All thanks and praise is due to God. We seek God's help and forgiveness. We seek refuge in God from the evil within ourselves and the consequences of our evil deeds. Whoever God guides will never be led astray. I bear witness there is no God but Allah, the one God, alone without any partners. And I bear witness that Muhammad is God's servant and God's messenger. O oh, you who believe, be mindful of God, as is God's due, and make sure you devote yourselves to God to your dying, dying moment. I seek refuge with Allah from the shaitan. Bismillahi-Rahman Rahim, I begin in the name of Allah, most gracious, most compassionate, and most merciful. And I also begin by sending his blessings upon our Holy Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and his purified household. My respected sisters, I greet you in peace and harmony today. I am truly grateful to the Almighty for bringing us together again. The lovely bayan that we heard from Sister Anne is indicative of the multiple events in our history. My khutbah today will discuss what role the women played from the household of the Prophet on the 10th of Muharram and the days following Ashura. Allah has revealed in the Holy Quran, in chapter 4, verse 124, وَمَنْ Whomever does good deeds, whether male or female, وَهُوَ mu'min and is a believer, أُولَٰئِكَ يَدْخُلُونَ These such people shall enter heaven. And they will not be wronged. And he uses the word naqira here, it is in the tiniest form. Even that hollow dot when you've eaten a date on the stone, he's describing and likening it to that. Those who do good. And a few years ago, mashallah, it's been that long, my last khutbah I delivered, we talked about the prophet's wife Khadija and her beloved daughter Fatima and how she grew up in the household where revelations was revealed to the holy prophet of Islam. Our history is not unlike any other history of centuries gone by. Islam came to a land where atrocities were abundant and women had no place in society other than to satisfy the pleasures of the men and to birth and raise their children. We know the challenges the Prophet faced during that time as he tried to reform a society of ignorant people. Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet, was married to Ali ibn Abi Talib, the Prophet's cousin. They had four living children. The first one, Hassan, was the spiritual leader when the Caliphate moved to the Umayyads. History is brutal, and sometimes it seems unbelievable that Muslims could do what they did to the family of the Prophet. However, When I look around myself now and I look at our current environments, to tyrants and violence, it makes sense that if it happens today, for sure it happened then. Indeed, a lesson for all of us to learn and how to manage our lives and not to devalue ourselves. Hussein was the second son who he was the one who was threatened to pledge allegiance to Yazid, the son of Muawiyah of the Umayyad kingdom, or face death. Being the principled descendant of the Holy Prophet's household, he really didn't see a choice. There was no way he was going to submit to tyrants. Hence, you have heard that he was killed on the day of Ashura. Ali and Fatima had two daughters. Zainab and Kulthum. These two were women who gave women in Medina hope during the life of the prophet. They taught them. They educated them on the rights of women based on the teachings of the Quran. Their grandfather was the prophet of Islam and their father was the last Khalifa before it transitioned to the monarchy of the Umayyads. Zainab was the strength for the women and children in Karbala. The situation was awful on the 10th of Muharram. Tents were burning, property looted, mothers who had lost children, sisters who had lost brothers. She was trained to be resolute and not flounder under pressure. She inherited her courage from her father Ali and she inherited her perseverance from her mother Fatima. She, in fact, witnessed her father during his caliphate, how he handled difficult political situation with the utmost political intelligence. And I will share with you two incidences that he narrates in his book, The Peak of Eloquence, known in Arabic, the Nahjul Balagha. He wrote a letter to his governor, Malik Ashtar. This is letter number 53. And he had appointed Malik to be the governor of Egypt at the time. And he tells him, no, O Malik, I have sent you to an area where there have been governments before you, both just as well as corrupt. Habituate your heart to mercy for the subjects and to affection and kindness for them. Do not stand over them like greedy beasts who feel it is enough to devour them. Since they are of two kinds, they are either your brother in faith or your friend in humanity. They will commit slips and encounter mistakes. They may act wrongly, willfully, or by neglect. So extend to them your forgiveness and pardon in the same way you would like Allah to extend his forgiveness and pardon to you. This was his letter to his governor, Zainab. Saw that. Then I will share with you a letter he wrote to Muawiyah, who was the king of the Umayyad Empire or dynasty at the time, who claimed to be a Muslim. This letter, number 10, Ali writes to Muawiyah and says, O oh Muawiyah, when were you all the protectors of the ruled and the guardian of the affairs of the people? Without any step or conspicuous distinction. We seek Allah's protection against the befailing of previous misfortunes and I warn you lest you continue being deceived by desires and your appearance become different from your inner self. A very different message to a tyrant. She learned from her father generosity and kindness. How he tended to the needy in the darkest of the night and how he never used government resources for personal gain. The people who killed Hussein bin Ali and tortured the family were people who prayed and fasted. On the day of Ashura, Imam Hussein quoted verse after verse from the Quran to the opposing army in the hope that at the last moment they would see truth from falsehood. I quote in chapter 41 verse 34. Good and evil cannot be equal. Repel evil with what is better, and your enemy will become as close as an old and valued friend. Islam encourages teaching and reminders of what is good over what is not, in the hope that this will benefit the people and that they will change. The Prophet Muhammad, there is a hadith. He said, help your brother or sister, whether they are an oppressor or oppressed? The people were alarmed. They said, "O prophet of God, we understand helping the oppressed, but what do you mean when you say help the oppressor? He replied, help them by preventing them from oppressing others. Several members of the opposing army of Yazid came over to defend Hussein after they heard lecture, references of the Quran, Among them was a man by the name of Hur ibn Yazid al-Riyah. He was a commander of one of the battalion of Yazid's army, but his heart softened. And it was his dear wife on that evening after Ashura, where she brought the women and children of the Prophet's household food and water to comfort them for the evening. That evening, it was only the women and children that were left. Zainab was now in charge. She had a job to do, and grieving for her family would have to wait. She lost two young children in the Battle of Karbala, along with her two brothers and many more nephews, uncles. Now I will take you to the days following Ashura. You see, Hussein's death was a revolution. It was a message saying we will not adhere to tyranny and the misconception of Islam that was happening at the time. As you heard earlier, Hussein and his companion undertook the first mission of the revolution. The second mission of conveying the message now rests on the shoulders of Zainab, a woman from whom we can all learn. The wisdom of Zainab and the mission is much more difficult and heavier than that of her brother. Those who fight falsehood with their lives are promised forgiveness of all sins in Islam. But Zainab survived. And this responsibility of conveying her brother's message was a difficult one. Leaving Karbala, she enters the city of Kufa, which is about 63 miles away. Now think of us if we were in a situation where we're hungry, thirsty, tired. We have faced a lot of hardship on that day. What position are we in? We are, we're in a very weakened position. Zainab enters the court of Ibn Ziyad, and he, he, she addresses him. She addresses him with full confidence and determination. Why did she feel confident in Kufa? Not many years back, her father, who was the Khalifa at the time, had his government in Kufa. So his family grew up in Kufa. The people in Kufa knew who these people were. Zainab addresses Ubaydullah ibn Ziyad and says, with authority, you are a coward, you are a hypocrite and a traitor to the message of Islam. And her whole khutbah is beautiful. You can Google it and just look it up, Zainab's khutbah in Kufa. She addressed him as someone she knew so she she could admonish him. And the people and Ibn Ziyad got very nervous. He was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not ready for this. This is not going to be good for me. So he stops her and he instructs the army to immediately leave for Damascus so that these prisoners of war could be taken to Yazid. And so they left, no stop, for food, shelter or rest. They continued their journey, this time to Damascus, 600 miles away. Difficult terrain, mountains, rocky areas. These were women and children who were shackled, unsaddled on these horses and camels. Many would fall and have died during that journey. It took days to get there. And Zainab was not about to remember her own weakness. She was determined she was going to get through this. Like her mother Fatima, who was prepared by the prophet, Zainab was prepared by her father for this moment. When they arrived at the court of Yazid in Damascus, she knew. Unlike the people of Kufa, these folks had no idea what happened in Karbala. They had been fed propaganda and were now ready to celebrate their victory. She addresses Yazid in the court. Again, look up the whole Khutbah, Zainab's Khutbah in Damascus. She says to him, thank God for all the generosity and glory which he has bestowed upon our family, the honor of prophethood and the honor of martyrdom. Zainab has to educate the people of Damascus because they have no idea who she is. So she has to introduce herself and she does. I am the daughter of Fatima who was the daughter of Muhammad. So she is making a connection with the people. And then she continues. Do you think you have done service to Islam and gained honor and respect in the eyes of Allah? You have dragged us in chains from place to place made it impossible for us to live is it justice that you conceal your women folk and slave girls behind the curtains and bring the daughters of the prophet of allah in public you have insulted them and humiliated them you have paraded them from place to place so that the dwellers of the city and villagers might gaze upon their faces and make fun of them. This was her message. This is just a brief one to Yazid. And at that point, she had already done her job. She was what I call the first broadcast journalist to live and share the moment of history. She She was determined. People had to know what had happened. In 1980, Saddam Hussein, another tyrant in our lives, had imprisoned and tortured many of the Shia scholars in Najaf, Iraq. Among them was Sayyid Muhammad Baqir al-Sadr and his sister Amina Sadr bint al-Huda. He watched his sister get tortured and murdered before he was killed. People asked Saddam, why did you have to kill her in front of him? He replied, Look what happened in Karbala. If they had killed Zainab, no one would have known Hussein. These were the women of Karbala who have inspired me. And because of Zainab, the Shias followed the annual tradition of commemorating Ashura in a solemn vigil and a tribute to the sacrifice of her brother, Hussein. أقولوا قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي May Allah forgive us all. Alhamdulillah. And I begin with by sending salutations. Allahumma salli على محمد wa al محمد. In the history of Moses, the role of his mother is highlighted as well. In the Quran, chapter 28, verse 7, Allah says, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ ummi musa. The word they use in the Quran, Allah uses, is the word awhayna, which comes from the word wahi, which means revelation. So Allah says, I have revealed to the mother of Moses, what have I revealed? That give your child his milk, and then when you fear for him, cast him in the river, and do not fear nor grieve. Surely, we will bring him back to you and make him one of the messengers. In another verse in the Quran, Allah talks to the mother of Jesus. Here, in chapter three, verse forty-two, Allah says, "Wa And the angels said, "Ya Maryam, O Maryam, Inna Allah astafaki wa taharki wa astafaki 'ala 'ala nisaal alameen." Surely Allah has chosen you and purified you and chosen you above all the women of the world. He says, Ya Maryam, إقنتي لربك مع And keep the obedience to your Lord and humble yourself. Do prostration and bow down. And bow down with those who bow down. These two verses in the Quran, and there are 6,110, these two verses have reminded me that Allah communicated with the women of these prophets, the mother of these prophets. In the second verse of the same chapter, chapter three, Allah uses the word wahi. Uh, and he says, ya Before that he says, I have revealed to you, you will deliver a child. And so, and we will call him Al-Masih Isa ibn Maryam, the Messiah, son of Maryam. So if God could communicate with women mentioned in the Quran, how is it that some Muslim leaders in the world downplay the importance of women, especially mothers? These were mothers of prophets. But modern history has many examples, unfortunately, of those who are righteous and those who are not. In our religion, being steadfast with our principles, encouraging goodness in the world is not just a moral requirement. It is a social expectation. The atrocities today in Myanmar, Burma, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, and so many more places, it is just mind-boggling. In some cases, the perpetrators are Muslims, just like in Karbala. They are destroying countries, livelihoods, families. Silence is not an option for us. Zainab was perhaps the first person to be inspired by Hussein's stand, using it as a catalyst for change. She refused to be subdued and put her fear on one side so she could hold to account those responsible for the moral decay of society. Oppression doesn't happen on the state and national level as we heard from Sister Anne. Oppression happens at the local level, in our workplace, in our schools, and sadly, in our homes and our families. Our role is to be aware of what's happening. Bring to light the issues. Be bold enough to solve them compassionately as well as legally. We all know this comes with a price. We also have to watch ourselves. We should make sure we are not the ones who are oppressing others. Because isn't it true that every oppressor claims to be a victim? So we have to hold ourselves accountable, remain humble and conscious. This reminds me of a hadith, in, of a battle that took place. It was the Battle of the Trenches, called Battle of Khandaq in Arabic, where the commander of the army in that Prophet's time was uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib in that particular battle. And he would get gone. Nobody wanted to fight the commander of the other army because he was a very brave person. The story goes on that Ali was out there and this man, he was sitting on him and, and he spit on Ali's face. So Ali got up and left the battlefield and the people said, what happened here? Then the commander was coercing and Imam Ali got back on the field and at that time he fought him and killed him. So the people asked him, what happened? You left him once, and he said, when he spit on my face, I became angry. At that point, if I would have hurt him, it would have been my anger. I would have been unjust. It was my mission was only to save and defend the prophet. That was the mission. So it changes us when we are faced with these kind of adversities. This week, I heard from someone, a lecture. And he used a phrase which was wonderful. He said, whenever we judge others, we judge them on their actions. But when we judge ourselves, we judge ourselves on our intentions. In other words, we justify our own acts. But somebody else, we judge them on their action. It was a good reminder for me how to not become an oppressor. Take, for example, Aung San Su Kyi. We've heard of her, yes? She's a Nobel Prize recipient. She was imprisoned under house arrest for many years in Burma, unable to see her husband and children who lived in England. She was honored and awarded recognition for her humanitarian struggles. She is the current de facto head of Myanmar. She has not said a thing. She has not done anything to stop the indiscriminate genocide against the Rohingyas. The Rohingyas are indigenous natives of Burma. They have lived there for centuries and they are being systematically eradicated in the worst ethnic cleansing this decade has seen. Where are they supposed to go? It's very similar to the refugees from Syria. That was their country. Where are they supposed to go? On the flip side, when we look at these horrible atrocities, on the flip side, we see someone like Dolores Huerta. Has anybody heard of Dolores? Yes. A civil rights activist and a labor leader. Never silent. Always present. She's 87 years old and still organizes protests and meets with government officials. She has earned accolades, including the Eleanor Roosevelt Award for Human Rights, the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Obama, and was the first Latina inducted in the National Women's Hall of Fame. Just this month she was protesting the Dreamers Act repealed by President Trump and has been on several primetime news segments. Allah says in chapter 13 verse 11, God does not change the condition of a people unless they change what is in themselves. I say my dear sisters, no more wars, no more deception, no more destruction. Political agendas are destroying the moral fabric of our society and our world. And we must do whatever it takes to speak out, demonstrate, write, tell the world our views. Only then, when Allah raises me on the day of judgment and I face Him, I know I can tell Him I did all that I could. Let's not be silent. Let's not be silent bystanders watching our world deteriorate. Our future generation depends on what we do today. You may have heard me recite this, this greetings and salutations to our holy prophet. It is the Shia custom that whenever we start a khutbah or end a khutbah, or we hear the name of the prophet, we say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa al-Muhammad based on the verse in the Quran, chapter 33, verse number 30, uh, 56. Where Allah says, "Inna Allahu wa malaikatahu," you saluunah Nabi. Surely Allah and His angels send blessings upon His prophet. Ya ayuha amanu, O you who believe, salu alayhi wa salimu taslima. Send your blessings upon him, and may Allah grant him peace. So we say, "Allahumma Allah Muhammad wa al Muhammad." Inna Allaha Adli Wal Ihsan, I ask Allah who commands us to do justice, do good. Wa and generosity towards our family and relatives. Wa he forbids what is shameful. Wal munkar and what is blameworthy. Wal and oppressive. He teaches you so that you may take heed and remember. I ask you to join me in our final prayer. I ask you, O Allah, to continue to grant us the resolve to work on improving our own selves, our character, and our connection towards you. O Allah, guide us on the path of humanitarian outreach. Build relationships with people of other faiths and backgrounds. Oh Allah, there are so many people struggling with their health. Grant them recovery and cure during those moments of illness. O oh Allah, with the troubles around the world and the displacement of so many families, remove their worries. Give compassion to others who can give them home and shelter. Ya Allah, protect the Ummah of your beloved Prophet and most importantly, the essence of his faith. Salamu Alaikum.